From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm a pile of thinly sliced beef covered in Velveeta. That's right, I'm your Billy Cheese Steak. <laughs> Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. It is the time of year when the world is in transition, the earth is moving from summer to winter, when we put away our white shorts and breezy halter tops and put on our corduroy pants and wool halter tops. These days, my diet is 100% beef stew and hot cocoa. As we adjust to the new, colder reality, we want to play for you some of our favorite moments from our old reality, starting with our conversation with astronaut Scott Kelly. I, I have been, I've been reading, reading your new book uh, about your life and your mission up there called Endurance, and it's fascinating. One of the things that amazed me is that uh, in your description of the space station, it sounds a little grimier than I imagined it would be. You know, we, we see science fiction movies, everything's clean and white, and it didn't seem that way in space. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a functional, it's a working and living space, and there's, uh, you know, a lot of equipment up there, but uh, any place that people live, I think, gets a little grimy. Yeah, I guess so, except you, you, you talked about, like, how things are floating around in the compartment. And sometimes you think they might be like a spare bit of candy that got away from the last meal, but you have to be careful because there are also mice on board. Yeah, yeah. You always want to make sure there's an M and an M on anything you see. <laughs> Read it out loud first. And I was also interested, I assumed that you were, on, you were in space. You were hundreds of miles above the Earth, that you would be cut off. But it seemed like you had internet, email, you had cable, you watched CNN all day. Yeah, we had CNN on while we were working. We weren't, like, just watching TV all day. But yeah. <laughs> no, the astronauts don't do that. The president does that. The astronauts have a job. And I, I, there, was one, there was one story that you told that I couldn't get over, is that you talk about one movie night you had early in your mission, and you watched the movie Gravity. What? So, so this is a movie, a Sandra Bullock movie, about a horrible disaster that takes place in space, in orbit. And you're watching the movie in space, in orbit. And, and what were you thinking as you were watching this movie? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a little bit like watching a movie of your house burning down while you're inside of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whose idea was that? Um, I think it was mine. <laughs> hey, Scott, you, you have an identical twin brother and you're both astronauts, which I, I find so intriguing. So whose idea was it first? You know, I think we, we, we decided to apply independently of one another, um, but he actually applied the selection before we both got picked, so I guess it was his idea first. And he was, he was on the ground, because if I remember correctly, the point of you being up there for so long was because you're identical twins, same DNA, they could then see how your, you had physically changed at the end of your time compared to your identical twin on Earth. And, and so d he, he sent you some odd things, if I remember. Um, like the gorilla suit? Yeah, I was thinking of the gorilla suit. I'm gonna be, tell, yeah, I'm gonna just be straightforward. I was thinking of the gorilla suit. Why did your brother send you a gorilla suit in orbit? Why not a gorilla suit? <laughs> well? There's never been a gorilla in space. <laughs> I guess as that's true. As far as we know. I guess that's true. And once you had the gorilla suit in space, what did you do with it? Well, you know, I, I, certainly I had some fun. Um, but 
you know, the purpose behind this was not just to goof around. You know, I, I, me being a kid growing up that had ADD or ADHD and, uh, you know, not being able to pay attention. Often as an astronaut, when I go to a school, there's always that kid in the back that, you know, even an astronaut talking about space can't get, you know, engaged with that kid. Yeah. So you put a video of a guy in a gorilla suit <laughs> in space. No one could not look at that. <laughs> That's hey, true. Scott. Hey, Scott, have you ever run into one of these crazy people that says the Earth is flat and nobody's seen it and say, uh, excuse me, I have. Yeah, you know, I had uh, at some of my events, they actually have flatter protesters that what? come out. What? Yeah. People yeah. are coming out I love it. Besides the fact that, you know, science explains why the Earth is round, if you those kind of people just don't believe in that. And that's, you know, you believe what, what you want. But if the Earth was truly flat, wouldn't the edge be like a really cool place to visit? Like the best... <laughs> That's a really I mean, good I'd point. Build a, I'd build a house there. I'd look over. My bedroom would be hanging over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> Given the things you've done, I have no doubt that would be the case. There'd be cats just pushing things off the end. <laughs> <laughs> I know because you say that the thing that everybody asks you about is the toilet up there, and I, and I was going to stay away from it, but then in your book, I found out something amazing, which is this weird barter system you have with the Russians in which you would give them, I guess, extra energy or from what, that you generated from the solar panels and they would give you their urine. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, we, change, we turn it into water and then we drink it. Oh. I guess, so you, you take their urine, you change it into water, you drink it, it turns back into urine. It all just seems so pointless when you think about it. <laughs> um, I know and I know what you're thinking. That guy drank his, whole, his pee for a whole year, right? I wasn't thinking actually, that. I drank everyone, everyone's pee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask, could you, could you tell whose it was? <laughs> oh. No, but it does taste better than the water in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Commander Scott Kelly, we are honored to talk to you, but we've invited you here to play a game today we're calling... International Space Station meet International House of Pancakes. <laughs> So long before the ISS was launched, another institution showed us what we get when we cooperate across nations, namely five different kinds of artificially flavored syrup. We're gonna ask you three questions about the pancake chain. Get two right and you win our prize for one of our listeners, a short stack of voices on their voicemail. Are you ready to play? I am ready. All right. Bill, who is Commander Kelly playing for? Cameron Nixon of Indianapolis, Indiana. All right. Here is your first question. IHOP, seemingly so harmless, has been involved in lawsuits such as which of these? A, IHOP v. PSF. They sued the French NGO Pancakes Sans Frontières for diluting their brand. B, IHOP versus Apple. They sued the computing giant saying the name iPad sounded too much like IHOP. Or C, IHOP versus IHOP. They sued the International House of Prayer for using their acronym while preparing people for the rapture? I would say A. You're going to say A. They sued the French na uh, non-governmental organization Pancakes Sans Frontières, <laughs> which presumably would bring pancakes to needy people in war zones. It's not my area of expertise. All right, yeah. So you're okay, going to go with... So let me, let me, so C. Yeah, but I think C is a better choice, yeah. 
They sued the International House of Prayer. It's confusing because both IHOPs are considered symbols of the end times. All right. <laughs> Next question. IHOP got in trouble for a marketing tactic in 2015. You probably missed it. You were in space. What was it? A, a TV ad with actress Kendall Jenner preventing a riot by giving a Rudy Tootie fresh and fruity breakfast to a policeman. <laughs> B, a tweet which said their pancakes are, quote, flat, but they've got a nice personality. Or C, an attempted viral campaign where they covered sidewalks and pancake syrup and told people to, quote, slow down and come on in to IHOP. I'll go with B. You're an engineer and you figured it out. That's right. Yes. Ah. People thought wow. that that was not as funny. So offensive. Not so funny. Not so funny. Not so funny. So they took it down. All right. Last question. When the first IHOP opened in New York City's East Village a few years ago, neighbors rose up in protest. Why? They felt A quote, Swedish pancakes were an offensive cultural appropriation. B, they didn't like a sign out front that said, New Jersey taste without New Jerseyans. <laughs> or C, it's stank of bacon 24-7. Hmm, that's interesting, you know. No offense, I mean, I like bacon, but uh, I'm gonna go with the bacon smell. That's right. <laughs> drank his own pee. Well, he was also a man, if you read his book, who was stuck up there smelling things a lot oh. in the enclosed space. Um, Bill, how did Commander Scott Kelly do on our show? Very impressively, Scott. You were studying up there, weren't you? You got them all right. <laughs> Congratulations. I do want to ask, you've, 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 you've reached the pinnacle of flight. You everything you could fly you've flown from the space shuttle to now the International Space Station. What's next for you? I'm going to fly the International House of Pancakes. Yes! <laughs> All right. Scott Kelly's new book is Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. Scott Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell And even in times of change, it's important to celebrate things that stay the same, like dumb politicians. Roxanne, Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama is a proud member of the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. This week he argued that instead of global warming, sea levels might be rising because of what? Oh, uh, all those icebergs falling into the water making it You're rise. You're actually close, not icebergs. Rocks. Just rocks. Rocks <laughs> falling Rock, into the what? ocean. <laughs> He's the, on, wait, he's on the committee for science? He's on the committee okay. for science. Oh, okay, all right. The Republican congressman pointed out, when you put stuff in containers of water, the water level goes up. If it's true in his bathtub, why wouldn't it be true in the ocean? Tell me that, Mr. <laughs> smart guy. Well, technically, he's right. <laughs> yeah. But. But. The, it, it makes sense, <laughs> like how the volcanic eruptions in Hawaii right now could have been caused because the Earth ate some bad chili, you know? <laughs> <laughs> The climate scientist who was testifying at that moment was not persuaded by the congressman's argument, saying, quote, I'm pretty sure that on human timescales, those are minuscule effects, while thinking, quote, what a moron. <laughs> When we come back, Austin Goolsby makes tariffs sound exciting, and we relive a bluff game that struck close to home for many listeners. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. 
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Ancestry DNA. See what your DNA reveals about your family lore and bring your family story to life with Ancestry DNA. Ancestry DNA is the most detailed DNA test, mapping your geographic origins from more than 350 regions around the world. Learn a more complete story of you with an easy at-home Ancestry DNA kit. Visit Ancestry.com wait and get 20% off your kit. This week... The history. Every gay person must come out. The meaning. Ellen, are you coming out or not? (laughs) And your stories of coming out. You like other men? Why? On the latest episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. It is fall. And while the days are becoming shorter... Thank you, Bill. It's fall, and while the days are becoming shorter, this show is still an hour long. And that means we have to fill the time with more great moments from our recent past. Like this Bluff the Listener game from earlier this year. Helen Hong was our guest host that week with panelists Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, and Hari Kondabolu. Right now, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call 1-888-WAIT-WAIT to play our game on air. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi there, how are you? My name is Kelly, and I'm calling from Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Tewksbury, Massachusetts! Isn't that, isn't, to, to, was Ann Sullivan from Tewksbury? Or? It, you know, actually, she and her brother lived at the um, Tewksbury State Hospital. They were orphaned. Hey, this is a comedy show! <laughs> <laughs> We need to go bumming people out, Kelly. <laughs> Couldn't you just say, yeah, she had a flower shop there? <laughs> it's nice to have you with us, Kelly. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. What are we talking about today, Bill? I forgot my toothbrush. We've all forgotten things while traveling. Why, on two trips in a row traveling with this very show, Peter Sagal accidentally brought two left running shoes. That's not a setup to a joke or anything. It's just a true fact we're choosing to expose while he's on vacation. (laughs) This week, we read about someone leaving something surprising behind. Guess the panelist who's telling the truth, and you'll win our prize, the wait, wait voice of your choice on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? I am ready. Awesome. First up, it's Paula Poundstone. The annual Thank You for Your Service Parade, presented by Disneyland in partnership with the USO for service members and their family at Camp Pendleton in San Diego, is quite a production. There are a dozen incomparable floats and an exquisite sound system. This year, however, someone whose head must still be rolling forgot the Mickey Mouse costume. Thinking quickly, parade director Rini Massiero instructed veteran cast member Paul Matlock to perform as scheduled the voice of parade grand marshal Mickey Mouse as if he were there but in hiding. <laughs> Welcome service members and families <laughs> to our where the heck is Mickey parade. Mickey's voice boomed to a confused crowd of parade watchers down Main Street in Camp Pendleton. This year, I'm camouflaged. <laughs> Right, Minnie? Even Minnie looked confused despite having facial features that are set in an immovable broad smile. (laughs) 
He kind of freaked my kids out, complained Corman John Sedich. I mean, saying stuff like, don't bother looking for me. You won't see me unless I want you to see me. <laughs> we like a Mickey we can see. <laughs> 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 the story of a Disney parade missing its Mickey from Paula Poundstone. Your next story of someone forgetting something comes from Adam Felber. Could happen to anyone. You take a cool trip, whip out your GoPro to record your experience for posterity, and you discover you've left your memory card at home. Okay, now imagine it's worse because you are in the middle of a once-in-a-lifetime spacewalk at the International Space Station when you realize what's happened. Okay, and now imagine your colossal cock-up is streaming live to all the denizens of the Earth below you. <laughs> well, if you're a certain American astronaut last week, you don't have to imagine anymore. In fact, the ensuing dialogue we all got to listen to between the astronaut and mission control sounded a lot like your grandmother getting computer customer service from mission control. Let me read you an actual sample. Hey, Houston, I gotta ask you a question about the GoPro real quick. Over. Go ahead, over. Okay, I'm pushing the button and getting a no SD card. <laughs> that means, do I need that to record? And if it's recording, is there supposed to be a red light on? <laughs> this is Houston. I'm told that if the card is in, it should have a red light if it's recording. <laughs> and Houston, if it says no SD, what does that mean? Over. <laughs> uh, we think it means no card. Over. <laughs> 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 Okay, okay. <laughs> that last line wasn't broadcast, <laughs> but the other stuff did happen. And on the bright side, thanks to this foul-up, the 7.5 billion of us down below never had to say cheese and then try it all over again because that one guy blinked. <laughs> An astronaut forgetting his memory card from Adam Felber. Your last story of someone leaving with less than they thought comes from Hari Kundabolu. A mother in suburban Chicago breathes a huge sigh of relief this week as she was reunited with her eight-year-old son, Kevin, who was accidentally left at home alone as the family went on vacation to Paris. <laughs> Apparently, no one had noticed the boy was missing on their drive to the airport and through airport security and while boarding the plane. I don't think this one's true. <laughs> No, 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 I saw this somewhere. <laughs> Only once when they were in flight did the mother sense that a cherished family member may not have been present. She then shrieked, Kevin! <laughs> she would rush home where she, along with police, found the boy unharmed physically, though he may deal with abandonment issues for years to come. In addition to the boy, the police also found two career criminals who appeared to have suffered great bodily damage <laughs> while attempting to rob the house. <laughs> One man had been shot in the groin with a BB gun and had his hand severely burnt by a hot doorknob. The other man had a nail and pieces of glass Christmas ornaments lodged in his foot. Both men also miraculously survived being hit in the head with a paint can that was apparently swung from a rope at high speeds. Something which would normally crush a human skull in seconds. Child Protective Services... Child Protective Services say they will not remove the child from the family since they believe it to be only a one-time occurrence and certainly not something that could happen again the next year. 
We've got Hari's story about a family in Chicago that left their son at home, Adam's story about an astronaut, and Paula's story about a missing Mickey Mouse. Which one is real? Well, I think I would have to go with the astronaut. The astronaut, which is Adam's story. Yeah. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to find out the correct answer, take a listen to this. Houston, I got a question about the GoPro real quick. I see a no SD. Do I need that to record? That was astronaut Drew Fustel asking Houston about the SD card needed to record with his camera. Congratulations, Kelly. You got it right. Thank you so much. You earned a point for Adam, and you've won our prize, the voice of your choice on your voicemail. Thank you for playing with us today. Thank you. There's been a lot of talk about trade wars this year, and like the rest of you, whenever we hear the word tariff, we just smile politely and secretly swallow the cyanide pill hidden under our false tooth. (laughs) But economist Austin Goolsby has the power to make tariffs thrilling, as he did back in March. Thank you. So you were you were the uh, chief of the Council of Economic Advisors for President Obama until about 2011. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And since since we now know there isn't one anymore for President Trump, what can you tell us about what is not any longer being done? <laughs> well, the, you know, I, I have a friend who was on the Council of Economic Advisors a long time ago, and when I took the job, he said the job of the Council of Economic Advisors, like a good gardener, is. planting seeds and 90% pulling weeds. Right. And so the fear always, as the economists leave, nobody likes them, nobody wants to talk to them, but they prevent some of the dumbest things from happening. And so the the fear would be more dumb things could get through. Right. And so given that the job of the Chief of the Council of Economic Advisors is to keep dumb things from happening, how do you think Gary Cohn did? Well... The fact that it seems that the president announced the policy at the end of a press conference and his own staff did not know that he was going to announce it suggests that maybe Mr. Cohn was not having the impact that he wanted to have. Right. (laughs) Although I'm told sometimes that the way to get the president to do something is to tell him not to do it. So maybe he should have tried the reverse psychology. (laughs) Maybe so. What you'd have to do is you say, you know what Obama would do? Put tariffs on aluminum. <laughs> that is, can you? I that mean, is, that is brilliant. I know, I know, I know uh, a, 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 economics is difficult and sometimes abstruse and even a little dull. But can you explain to us? Are these tariffs a good idea? <laughs> I'll tell you why they're a terrible idea, which yeah. they are. Uh, but to do that, I will give you a small story about my aunt Rena, who lived in a house with my Uncle Bob in Lubbock, Texas. There's a disagreement in the family what it was that my Aunt Trina cooked, but it ended up stuffed down the sink where it clogged the drain. Okay. And my Uncle Bob went to the store and got a product which has since been banned, which was called The Bomb. And The Bomb was a combination of a plunger and a firearm. Okay. And it, it had a cartridge in it. It's Texas. Everything is a combination of a firearm. Into the drain, okay. and you fired it in, and it would blow the clock So this out. is like an explosive device it's with a projectile. It's got a CO2 projectile, and you put the pressure right. in there, and you blow it out. Yeah. 
And it said on the outside, use only one charge. Okay. Okay, my, my Uncle Bob is not the type to use only one oh, charge. No. More than one is available. So he fired the entire thing I, into the I just want to interrupt. This is the most interested in economics I have ever been. <laughs> right now. I'm going to bring it back. All right. I'm going to bring it back. This is great. Now, he cleared out the clog of the drain. Yes. The lasagna, whatever it was. And they lived in a, what... In Chicago, we would call it converted. It was a house, had a wall down the middle. There were two identical apartments. And the drains did not just go straight down. They connected in a little Y. Right. So every time he blew the bomb into the drain, it didn't go down the drain to the sewer. It just blew it to the neighbor. So the next morning, that person comes over, bing bong, and Bob, was there some kind of terrible plumbing catastrophe that, that happened? And they go, he said, I'd like to show you my apartment. And all over the ceiling of the kitchen is my entry and his lasagna blown out there. And that is exactly what's wrong with terrorists. You can blow it. You, you can blow the lasagna out of the steel drain. But when you blow it out of the steel drain, Right onto the auto industry, Boeing, and right, all that. Right. It's all over the ceiling, and that's what's wrong with this. It ends up destroying thousands more manufacturing jobs than you're saving in the one where you're doing uh, it. I, that is so great, and I have this, this deep conviction that if only you had been there to explain it to Donald Trump <laughs> just that way, he would have understood. Yeah. So anyway, that was great. That was great. Now, do Bitcoin. Because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly have no idea what that is either. Well, Austin Goolsby, it is a pleasure to see you back here again. We've asked you, though, this time to play a game we're calling Serve from the Left, Clear from the Right. Since you study actual economics, we're going to ask you about home economics. <laughs> for which, tragically, there is no Nobel Prize. There should be. Get two questions right, you want a prize for one of our listeners and a homemade handwoven potholder for yourself. <laughs> Bill, who is Austin Goolsby playing for? Michael Roy of San Diego, California. Okay, here's your first question. According to the 1954 Home Ec textbook Experiences in Homemaking, what must you always do when preparing a meal? A, wash your eggs before using them. B, make sure your husband is served the cut of meat closest to the loin. Or C, arrange the accompanying vegetables in the shape of a smile. <laughs> oh, man. Wait, so A was wash your eggs. Yes, now, there's a before huge, you track them. There's a them. huge controversy about refrigerating, whether you should refrigerate your eggs. Yeah. And you're supposed to refrigerate eggs in the United States because they've been washed and there's some protective something around an egg in nature that you really are an not economist. To be <laughs> like, so I'm gonna guess the eggs. You're right, it's the eggs. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> nice, nice. The idea was that eggs, you know, have you ever seen where an egg comes from? They're filthy, <laughs> so you need to wash them before you use them. All right, next question. Home ec classes at Cornell University were pretty different before 1969. Before that, the college regularly did what? A, give actual babies to the students to use as, quote, practice children. <laughs> B, they taught everyone that serving family style from one big platter was communist. Or C, they, they made students spend five minutes in a 275 degree room so they could, quote, feel 
what a pot roast felt. <laughs> 270. Wait, but all three of those sound crazy. What? Isn't the Cornell Hospital not in Ithaca, New York? So maybe it couldn't be. Did, did, when, you, when you were working at the White House, did President Obama ever shout at you, for God's sake, Austin, just say something? <laughs> well, I don't know, Mr. President. I mean, there are so many factors that could feed into this decision. Okay, I'm going to guess the babies. You're right. It was the babies oh. the whole time. Oh. And they, they say to the students, they say, don't worry if you mess it up. It's a rental. All right. <laughs> Last question. Uh, home economics classes, we've discovered, uh, actually were somewhat widespread, and they have produced some notable alumni, uh, including which of these? A, Martha Stewart, who received Barnard College's first ever grade double A in a special home economics major. B, Michael Jordan, well known around these parts, who took home economics in high school in case he didn't make enough money to go out to eat when he grew up. C, Ozzy Osbourne, who created a recipe in his homemade <laughs> class for bat a la king. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to have to go with his airness himself. You're going to go with Michael Jordan? Yeah. Yes, it was Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Michael Jordan. Greatest basketball player of all time. He, he apparently, he said to an interview once that he took home back to learn to cook because he worried his ears were so big he'd never find a wife. Aww. Bill, how did Austin Goolsby do in our quiz? He did great, and I'm always impressed when somebody gets three out of three. Well done, sir. <laughs> Austin Goolsby was, of course, a former senior economic advisor to President Obama. He's now at the University of Chicago. Austin Goolsby, thank you so much for coming thank back to the It's great to see you. Austin Goolsby, everybody. When we come back, the actor behind Carmela Soprano makes us an offer we can't refuse, even though that wasn't the movie she was in. And Ohio governor and former presidential candidate John Kasich is too polite to say I told you so. We'll be back with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Rosetta Stone. Anyone can speak a new language with the right tools. Built by experts, not crowdsourcing, Rosetta Stone goes beyond simple vocabulary by preparing you to have real-life conversations in more than 24 languages. Lessons sync across your phone, tablet, and desktop so you can learn anywhere at your own pace. With Rosetta Stone, you'll speak out, not freak out. Start for free at rosettastone.com NPR. Rosetta Stone. Speak for yourself. What happens when a family decides to adopt a child of a different race? All of my life, my parents have told me I'm just like my brother and sisters, but I wasn't and I'm not. This week on Code Switch, transracial adoptees speak for themselves. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. As we move into the colder months of the year, we're giving you a chance to warm yourselves in the heat of our favorite recycled clips. Think of the past hour as a landfill piled high with slowly decaying limericks and puns. <laughs> Back in April, award-winning actor Edie Falco joined us, which gave us the chance to ask someone what it's like to be on a hit show. Edie joined us in April, along with Helen Hong, Maz Jobrani, and Maraca. 
Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, the Sopranos was really like, in my memory anyway, the first really cult TV show of the modern era that everybody watched. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, you certainly don't know it at the time, but in retrospect, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of a thing. Yeah, it was, you know? it, it was the first show I remember that everybody had to get together on Monday to talk about what had happened the <laughs> night before. It was, it, and, I love that. Yeah, it's pretty great. But you, uh, like a lot of actors, you had a struggling period right at the start, right? Oh, please. For years and years of it. Yeah, really? I've been at Reacher's for, I don't know, a gazillion years. Um, I ran telephones at various offices and uh, dressed up like Cookie Monster at a wedding. I just, you know, hold on. You know. Well, well, hold on. Let's go, go back a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's all right. No, wait. <laughs> I hope you weren't a you bridesmaid. Were, you, were the, you were a Cookie Monster or the Cookie Monster? The very one. The, the very, very one. You were one. the Cookie Monster at yeah. a wedding? <laughs> How would that Trying go? Trying to get people onto the dance floor. Oh my something God. Something I always hated. I love that. I'm also imagining the Cookie Monster officiating, you know. Yeah. Want matrimony? <laughs> <laughs> Who hires the Cookie Monster for an adult wedding? Were they tripping on acid? I know that the Sopranos was far from your first job, but it was, let's just say, it was your first prominent job. Uh, first, I have to ask, how did you get the job of playing Carmela Soprano, the, the the wife to Tony, the mob? It boss? was a uh, it was an it was an audition like any other, and uh, you know I popped in. I, I I knew I wouldn't be cast because I you know was an Italian American woman, which I happened to be, but I guess I never really thought I looked very much like that. Yeah. And so there was a certain ease that came during the audition, and um, and I got home and they called me that night to wow. tell me that I had gotten the thing. That's crazy. Wow. And, and, and did, when you read the script for that first episode, a guy walks into a psychiatrist's office. Yeah. Uh, did you think, well, this is going to be an enormous cultural phenomenon that'll change the shape of television <laughs> for decades to come? Oh my God, verbatim. Yeah, that was his So one of the things that we knew, and we actually back in the day interviewed some of the actors in the show, and one of the things that everybody would hear about is that every actor in The Sopranos was terrified that someday David Chase or one of the other producers would say, come here, we gotta talk to you. And, yeah. and they'd let you know that you were gonna get whacked. Or That's your, right. Or your character, they didn't actually kill any actors, as far as right. I know. No. One of the guys who got killed, and I will not say, all of a sudden, after that episode, they started getting all these letters from fans <sighs> saying, oh, why did you kill off so-and-so, blah, 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 uh, which seems sort of unusual, and after a period of time, it was all traced back to the actor himself. <gasps> really? Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. Got to hand it to him. Got to hand I it to tried. him. He tried. He tried. Give him some credit. So you went right from The Sopranos, and you did this other, well, I don't know if it was right from The Sopranos, but soon after The Sopranos, you did this new show on Showtime called Nurse Jackie, which right. was about a nurse who had, a, among other things, a drug problem and various right. other problems. Have mm -hmm. you ever like wanted to just play a normal, nice person? Yeah, so much, <laughs> so, so much. Luckily, I don't spend a lot of time wondering why that rarely comes my way. Um, oh, here's an I'm, insanely you know, troubled, morally questionable person. Get Falco. I'm, I'm, I know who can do that. No, I mean, I really am a remarkably like regular stable person, so I'm not quite sure how this whole thing happened. You should do a musical. Okay. <laughs> All right, what, what musical no, do you think should always should say, it'll light, you know, if you want something lighter, and it'll lighten up your image also. Yes, yes. I would love to, honestly, I would love to do a musical. Like Maria, play Maria in The Sound of Music. How about, <laughs> no, not again. How about, how about a musical version of The Sopranos? Then oh. How about Auntie Mame, but as Carmela? 
Oh my god. That would be how funny. about Auntie Mame but as Cookie Monster? <laughs> <laughs> well, Edie Falco, we have invited you here to play a game we're calling Woke Up This Morning, Got Myself in Aria. So, oh god. Yes. You saw this coming. You started in the Sopranos as we have discussed. So naturally, we thought we'd ask you about tenors. No, of course. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Get two out of these th- multiple choice questions right. You'll win a prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they like on our show on their voicemail. Bill, who is Edie Falco playing for? Alan Fenney of Melbourne, Australia. Wow. Oh, my goodness. All right. Here we go. First question. The tenor Jose Carreras demonstrated that he was destined to be an opera singer early on in life. How? A, when he sang happy birthday at a five-year-old's party, all the other children wept and the party was canceled. <laughs> B, he sang so much at home, his family got sick of it and made him sing in the bathroom where they locked him in. Or C, the sound he made when he got his first flu shot reportedly made the doctor give up medicine and become a poet. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is B. The answer, in fact, is of course B. He was always singing, his family got sick of it, they locked him in the bathroom. The acoustic must have been excellent because, of course, he went on to a legendary career. All right, Mm -hmm. next question. The great tenor Robert White says the greatest high notes of his career, as it were, happened in a surprising way. Which of these? A, a bug flew in his mouth and right down his throat, possibly loosening him up so he could reach the note. B, he accidentally sat right on the fat lady's Viking helmet and let out the highest note he'd ever hit. Or C, Uh he he heard a car alarm going off in the opera house's parking lot that was inspired to out-sing it. Uh-huh. I think it's C. You think it's C, the car alarm. It was actually A, a bug threw down his throat. No. And what? he says it somehow loosened up his throat that he was able to hit his finest high note. Oh, my Lord. I know. <laughs> All, All right. right. But this is fine, though. You have one more chance. Uh-huh. Here we go. Though he died in 2007, Luciano Pavarotti, the greatest tenor of all time, some say will live on thanks to his music and also thanks to which of these scientific discoveries? A, the Pavarotti effect in which animals exposed to his voice experience increased libido. (laughs) B, the Pavarotti syndrome, a psychological condition in which 60-year-old men think they can pass for 25-year-old romantic leads. (laughs) Or C, the Pavarotti gene found in fruit flies which causes their cells to become abnormally fat. So, C, you think C? Yeah, you're right, it's C. I knew it! You did know it! I knew it! Bill, how did Edie Falco do in our quiz? Well, two out of three is a win, Edie, in our book. But as you would say on The Sopranos, it looks like three to me. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to puzzle that out, Edie. Yeah. We're all going to figure out what that means. But in the Uh meantime, congratulations. Uh, Edie Falco, her new movie is Outside In. It's in theaters now and available for streaming almost anywhere that things stream. Edie Falco, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What a pleasure pleasure. to talk to you. Thank you so much. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One wants to build a better bank, one that feels and acts nothing like a typical bank, so they're reimagining banking. They offer a great savings rate and accounts with no fees or minimums that can be opened from anywhere in five minutes. That's banking reimagined. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Capital One, N-A. 
The following message comes from our sponsor, Wix.com. With Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank page and design your website and any layout you want. Work with advanced features and sophisticated visual effects. You'll have the freedom to tell your story exactly the way you've envisioned it. Go to Wix, W-I-X.com, to get started today. Wix, what will you create? Ohio Governor John Kasich distinguished himself in the 2016 Republican primary debates with his candor, his fearlessness, and for being located so far to the side of the stage you could barely see him on TV. But Governor Kasich took center stage when he joined us in Ohio in April, along with Peter Gross, Roxanne Roberts, and Roy Blunt, Jr. Thank you. So, you, you started, we are told, you started quite early. You were very interested in politics as a young man, right? Well, I, w I went to Ohio State, and I lived in a dormitory, had yeah. 15 roommates. I had 15 roommates, and some things upset me, so I w asked for a meeting with the president of the university, and uh, finally they let me in, so I went in to see him, and he said, what's on your mind? I told him, and then I looked at him, and he said, sir, I've been in school a couple weeks, and I'm undecided, but looking around at your nice carpeting, your, your furniture and everything, maybe this is the job for me. What exactly <laughs> do you do? <laughs> and... Uh, so he told me about his fundraising responsibilities, his academic responsibilities, and he said the next day he was going to fly down and have a meeting with President Nixon. Right. This is 1970. And I said, well, sir, there's a number of things that I would like to talk to him about also. Could I go with you? <laughs> and he said, uh, no. And I said, if I write a letter, would you give it to the president? And he said, sure. So I wrote this letter and uh, you know, told him how I thought he was doing, and I signed a John Kasich P.S. If you want to discuss this further, let me know. Uh, I've got time. So I got a letter back from the office of the White House, the president. I opened it up. I went upstairs to my dorm room, called home. My mother answered the phone. I said, Mom, I'm going to need an airline ticket. The president of the United States would like to have a meeting with me in the Oval Office. And my mother started shouting, Honey, pick up the phone. Something's wrong with Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Uh, it, so I flew down, yeah. get outside the Oval Office. Yeah. And a guy walks up to me, says, young man, you're going to have five minutes alone with the President of the United States. I'm 18 years old, first right. quarter freshman. Sound pretty cool, folks? It yeah, does. Okay. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. New jacket, new shirt, new tie, new pants. I didn't come for five lousy minutes. No. So, uh, <laughs> so they opened up a door, and I, and I went in. I saw the President, shook hands. The good news is I spent uh, 20 minutes in the Oval Office as a first quarter freshman with the President of the United States. The bad news is I spent 18 years in Congress, and if you add up all the time I spent in the Oval Office, I peaked out at the age really? of 18. <laughs> what did you, I, I mean, it's really so true. far, so far, yeah. I, I, what did you talk to President Richard Nixon about? You, an 18-year-old college well, I had a number of things, you know. Such yeah. as? Well, I mean, foreign policy, you know, simple things, yeah. you know. You realize if we wanted to, we could look up the tape and find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. You know, that, uh, you know that button they ought to have yeah. on Facebook, which is delete all my information? <laughs> yeah. I've already done that at the Nixon Library. Uh, yes, you have. <laughs> when you were in Congress, of course, you, you made your mark as a budget guy, and you played a significant role in the balanced budgets of, of, of the Clinton years. Very significant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I have to ask about this because I know, because you told me, that one of the things that you zeroed out back in your budget cutting days was money for public broadcasting. Yeah. Well, I did because, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Thanks, Peter. I'm well, glad I welcome. talked to you earlier today. <laughs> really they, great. They were being no, so I mean, here's the thing. Nice. No, 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 first it. of all, the arts and public broadcasting and all that was critical. At that time, I thought, I'm for it. In fact, I contributed to it, but should the public money go into it? 
Uh, now, since... <laughs> I, I know, I know. He knows. Well, if I'm elected president, we'll double the budget. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, follow, following up on your joke. Uh, I, Which joke? The joke about <laughs> when you're president. Oh, okay. So this is interesting. <laughs> so the one, I got uh, one last thing. We got to do this because ostensibly we work for a news organization. The New York Times just wrote a story about all the time you're spending in New Hampshire, and they pointed well, I out. I like the fish. Uh, well, of course. <laughs> it's good. You it's, it there? is a coastal state. <laughs> And it's, they described you as the man who is, and I quote the New York Times, the man who is not, not running for president. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you in front of our audience here and abroad, are you not, not, not running for president or are you not, not running for president? Well, it'll depend on what they think. Uh, I don't know what they think. No, it, it, now, you know what? Um, Peter, this will sound uh, maybe a little crazy, but I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. I have about nine months. This is the most important thing for me to finish strong. Sure. Because people remember you how you finished, not how you started. Right. There you go. Right. That'll work. I don't know what yeah, it's going to mean. I know why you're doing it. I just realized it just came to me, my political analysis, because you want to go up against Donald Trump again, because last time you didn't get a nickname. Right? Because I'm sure you felt a little bad. There was like... No, not for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, Governor Kasich, it is a real and genuine delight to talk to you, but that's not what we asked you here. We asked you well, to play a game okay. we're calling... But wait, there's more. You are Governor Kasich, so we naturally thought we'd ask you about KTEL, which is the company that invented the infomercial and also those compilation albums. You used to see advertised on TV, you know, 25 polka hits. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, sure. we're an age. So answer two questions correctly about KTEL. You win our prize one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they may like from our show on their voicemail. Bill, who is the governor of Ohio playing for? Gabe Meeker of Columbus, Ohio. All right. Okay, here is your first question. KTEL was founded by a Canadian salesman named Phil Kivas, who learned his trade hawking wares on a boardwalk. But before that, he had another job. What was it? A, a royal mountie, B, trapping weasels, or C, poutine cook. <laughs> and he was Canadian, remember. Well, he wasn't in politics, so he wasn't trapping weasels. Um, <laughs> Did you say it was a wasn't no, it A? Isn't that where I want to head? So, so he was a Canadian guy. He was a salesman. Before that, was he a Royal Mountie, a weasel yeah, trapper? Yeah, he was a Royal Mountie. So the, no, actually, he trapped weasels. That was the thing he did. <laughs> he did Sold not. their pelts. He did. He, he oh, trapped, that's terrible. He also trapped gophers. He trapped gophers, but weasels are funnier. Next question. Which of these was a real KTEL compilation album? Was it A, 24 Dumb Ditties, B, 38 Tuba Explosions, <laughs> Or C, 76 tromboners. Mm. <laughs> you think A. Hey. You think A. A? Okay. I'll go A. Yes, it was right. A. Oh, right. Listen to the people. Listen to the people. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> how I run my cabinet meetings. <laughs> okay. You want to make everybody sit around and praise you? That's <laughs> not how you run your cabinet meetings? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. For all the kitschiness, KTEL albums contributed to the history of American pop music in at least one significant way. What was it? A, 
the desk at which Michael Jackson sat down to write Beat It had a leg balanced on six stacked KTEL records. Very interesting. B, Dave Grohl of Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. You met him. He says it was a KTEL record that inspired his musical career. Or C, the CD, and thus digital music, was invented by a computer scientist who was upset that his vinyl copies of KTEL's summer cruising record kept wearing out. I'm sort of thinking it's Dave Grohl. Yeah, B, come on, help me. B. 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 Of course it was B. Yeah. It's Dave Grohl. Yeah. He says, Grohl says that he heard an Edgar Winter song on a KTEL compilation in the 70s, and it sort of changed his life, to use his words. So, Bill, how did Governor Kasich do on our the show? The president got two out of three. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a win. John Kasich is the author of the book Two Paths. He is the governor of the great state of Ohio. Governor Kasich, thank you so thank much you. for being on Whitley Time. That does it for this autumn edition of our show. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dernboss, and Lillian King. Technical directors from Lorna White. Public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our master of operations is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis and all of the panelists and listener contestants you heard this week, as well as our special guests. I'm Peter Sagal, and we will see you next week. This is NPR.